you, Larry, and thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Continuing our study in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Understanding Christian freedom. Understanding Christian freedom. We've been talking about uh, legalism, and Paul has gotten into liberty. And today we need to understand uh, the boundaries of Christian freedom. If you found your place there in Galatians, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And we ask, O oh Lord, that today you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Have you ever heard of the pendulum effect? The pendulum effect or the pendulum law. Uh, there's a law in physics discovered by uh, uh, Galileo, Galileo that uh, talks about the law of the pendulum, describing how gravity causes uh, an object on a string hanging from a string on a pendulum, how it continues to stay in motion. But you know, there's also a sociological theory that's called the pendulum effect. And the pendulum effect says that culture and politics, things like that, tend to have a certain trend. They tend to go from one extreme to the other. And so we see in American culture, haven't we? We've seen the American culture at one time, it was to the extreme in conservatism, extremely conservative. And now we see in society, uh, there's a swing, a shift in our society towards the opposite extreme. And so we see a lot of, of liberalism taking effect. And, and we see that swing. We're swinging towards liberalism. Well, in our own lives, we see the pendulum effect, don't we? You go to the doctor and you've been living a life of bad health. You've been living a life where you, you've been stressed at work, a lot of stress, a lot of uh, tension, not eating healthy, not exercising. So you go to the doctor, the doctor tells you, man, you're a, a mess. You're going to have to make some changes. You're going to have to straighten out. And so you're going to have to go on a diet. You're going to have to start going to the gym. And so you swing to this other side and, and you take it to the extreme for a week or so, right? Let's be honest. 
It's a short, it's a short uh, drift to the other side. But, but you go to the extreme and you get on this hard diet and, and you go to the gym and you start working out and it doesn't take long, you get tired of that and next thing you know you swung, swung back to the opposite end and now you're just eating everything, whatever doesn't move, you're, you're stuffing it in your face, you're not going to the gym, you're doing nothing that the doctor told you. So we have that tendency towards the pendulum effect, don't we? We do. And we see Paul, he understands this. I mean, he didn't know the pendulum effect by name, but he knew that this trend in the lives of people. We have a tendency to go from one extreme to the other. And so here he is speaking to the Galatians, and they have gone to one extreme. They've gone to legalism. These false teachers came in, they started teaching about legalism. And so these Galatians who were doing well, now they have swung over to the extreme of legalism. And so Paul has spent a lot of time, we've, we've seen that as we've gone through the book of Galatians. He has gone to, to, def, to defeat that swing over to legalism. And to bring them back center. And so he is really focused on Christian liberty. And he's talked a lot about Christian freedom. We're free from the law. Free from the law's condemnation. We're free to, to live in Christ. And not have to worry about the condemnation of the law. Always hanging over our heads. We are not made righteous by what we do. We're not made righteous by keeping the law. We're made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so he has been speaking a lot about our freedom in Christ. But he understands that now these Galatians, these Christians, they have a chance here. They, they may swing all the way from uh, uh, legalism over to license. Oh, well, we're free from the law. Let's just live and just do whatever we want to do. Enjoy life. We'll get drunk. We'll have a party. We'll do all of these things. And so he understands that there's a danger here from them to, for them to swing from legalism all the way over to license. And so now he wants to bring us in. He wants to balance us out and teach to us, preach to us Christian liberty. It's not license, it's not uh, legalism to this extreme, it's not license to this extreme, but there's Christian liberty. And Christian liberty has boundaries in it, doesn't it? And that's what he wants to tell, teach us today, that our, our freedom in Christ has certain boundaries. So today as we look at this text, we're going to see this. Christian freedom is not a license to do whatever you want but liberty to love and serve others. Christian freedom is not a license to do whatever you want, dear Christian, but it is liberty to love and serve others. So today we're going to see three boundaries, three boundaries to Christian freedom. And I hope that you, you grab a hold of these boundaries. I want you to see these boundaries so that, that you're not caught up in the pendulum effect, swinging from legalism to license, but that, Christian, you might live a balanced life in Christian liberty. So let's begin to look at these then, three boundaries of Christian freedom. The first boundary that we see here, we see this in the first verse, and it is, in Christ we are free to serve others. In Christ we are free to serve others. Look what it says there in verse four, four, uh, excuse me, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You see, Paul understands we have this, we have this danger. He's been talking freedom. He's been talking liberty. Now there's that opportunity for the flesh to come in and to, to take control, to, to sound its voice, because this old sinful flesh, it still has those earthly desires, those base desires. And so Paul says, wait a minute, I've been teaching liberty, but let me make sure you don't swing to the other side. Don't allow liberty uh, a chance for the flesh to, to rear its ugly head and send you down the path of just open license to sin. So do not allow the, the freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but rather that, do this, through love serve one another. Through love, serve one another. We're called in Christ to serve. That's what Christian freedom is all about. That's what we're free to do. We're free to serve others. We were a slave to the flesh, slave to those base desires, a slave to, to sin, a slave to selfish desires, a slave to our own pride. But in Christ, we are freed from selfish desires. We're freed from sin. We are freed from pride to serve one another. That's what we're called to do. And I want you to notice this here, that word serve there. That word is from the, the Greek word doulos. And, and it means to be a slave. And so what Paul is saying here is not simply to, to serve like, you know, uh, help someone out. What he's saying here is, but through love, be a slave for others. Be a slave for one another. Put yourself out for the benefit of your brother and sister. Did you hear me? You hear what I'm saying? Put yourself out. You go to that opposite extreme. Instead of living for yourself, you're living for others. You're to put yourself out. You're to be a slave for others. That's what the Christian life is all about. We're free from our own selfish wants and our own selfish desires. We're free from that. Oh, they still struggle within us. Oh, we, I still want to do what I want to do, right? I still have that desire to serve myself, but in Christ, I'm given freedom. And not only that, He has given the power within me. Next week, we'll be talking about life in the Spirit. And the Spirit lives in us to, to free us from those selfish desires. We're free from serving ourselves so that we might serve others. And that's what we're called to do. That's one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith. Martin Luther put it like this. Martin Luther said, A Christian is free and independent in every respect, a bondservant to none, yet a Christian is, dutifully, is a dutiful servant to, in every respect, owing a duty to everyone. Let me read that again because I kind of messed it up. A Christian is free and independent in every respect, a bondservant to none. Yet a Christian is a dutiful servant in every respect, owing a duty to everyone. We are free in Christ. We're not obligated to do anything for anyone, to anyone. We're free. We're no longer under the condemnation of the law. Our salvation is not determined on what we do in this life. It's not determined on our good deeds. It's determined on Christ's good deeds. What He did for us. 
We're free from the law's condemnation. We no longer have to live with that pressure upon our shoulders. Yet we, are, we have been freed from that condemnation to freely love and serve one another in Christ. We are called to service. And isn't this not the example that we have in Jesus Christ? I mean, we call ourselves Christians. That means that we are, are disciples of Christ. We're followers of Christ. We want to be like Christ. We're trying to, to shape our lives to be like Christ. And so if we're trying to shape our lives to be like Christ, then we've got to look to Christ. And what did Christ show us? He became a servant. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now think about that. Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. He is God who came in human flesh. He created all things. All things are sustained by the power of his word. Yet God humbled himself. In his divine freedom, he humbled himself to come to this earth to live a life like one of us yet without sin. And He freely gave Himself. He gave Himself to serve you and me on Calvary's cross, dying for our sins, paying that penalty that we could never pay. He paid it in our place so that we might have life in Him. And now, dear Christian, we're called not to do whatever we want to do, but we're called in Jesus Christ to live a life of freedom, freely serving others in the name of Jesus. How are you living? How are you living? What does your life look like? Are you giving yourself? Are you setting aside your, your, your rights, your privileges to serve others? Are you modeling the life of Jesus in your own life? Dear Christian, you are free. You are free. You no longer have to be a slave to self and sin. You are free to serve even as Jesus, God in Christ, has served you. So, we are, uh, we are called to serve. The first, the first boundary of Christian freedom is, is service, to serve others. Second, the second boundary is then what must fuel this service to others. The second boundary actually fuels our service to others. The second boundary is this. In Christ, we are free to love others. In Christ, we are free to love others. Look what he says there in verse 14. Verse 14 reads, For, because, right? He, he's given some reason here. For the whole law... It's fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now he's talking about the whole law there. The whole law is fulfilled. Now Paul has been spending the whole time, the rest of the time in Galatians, he's been talking about how we're no longer a slave to the law. You're, you're, not, to, uh, you're not saved by the law. Works of the law will not save you. And now he turns around and he says the whole law is fulfilled in this one word. What is, what's the point in all of this? Well, Paul wants to make sure that we understand that the law is not bad. The law is good. It's right. It's holy. 
You see, what's been going on is these false teachers, they came in, they started pushing, in particular, the ceremonial laws, and they began to push them as a way of salvation. You've got to do X if you want to be saved. Oh, yes, you've got to have faith, but in addition to faith, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to, to keep the feasts and the holidays and, and all of these other ceremonial requirements along with that. And, and only if you keep the law are you then truly saved. Well, Paul's been fighting against that. When you think about the law, the law can be broken down into to three basic parts. There's, there's the moral law, the Ten Commandments. The moral law reflects the very character of God. So we can't do away with the moral law. It's good, right, and holy. It, it's there for us to learn from. We are to be obedient to the moral law. Not as a way of salvation, but in a way of, of pleasing God. Of finding His delight in us. By glorifying Him by our obedience. So it's not a way of salvation, but it's a way to... Love the Father. So the moral law is good and right and just. And the social law, the second part of the law, the law of Moses, is the social law. Now the social law is kind of like a commentary on the moral law. It's how the moral law then unfolds itself in the life of, of the nation Israel in particular. And so it showed the, the Israelites how they were to live in such a way to honor God and glorify God in their national life. And so there's the social law, and the social law is good. We can learn a lot from that. Now, that was for a different culture and a different time, and so some of the things we, we don't have to deal with. But, but it helps us understand the moral law and how the moral law then uh, lives, is lived out in the life of the nation or in a people. But then there's the third part of the law, the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law had to do with all the sacrifices. It had to do with the food laws. It had to do with the law of circumcision. Now, when you talk about the food laws and the law of circumcision, that was a way for Israel to be marked out as a separate people for God. By not eating certain things and by being circumcised, they were saying to the world, we are a nation unto God. And that was a testimony to the, to the world that Israel belonged to God. They were a separate people, a holy people. They lived different because they served a living God. And then you had the other laws that had to do with the sacrifices. Well, all those sacrifices, they pointed to Jesus. And guess what? Jesus, he came and he fulfilled the ceremonial laws. And so the ceremonial laws, they, they have passed away. There's no longer the need to, to see Christ reflected in ceremonies because Christ has come. We, we can see his work. We can see him. We understand what he has accomplished. So we don't need the ceremonial laws. But that doesn't mean that the moral laws have passed away. The moral laws still reflect the character of God. And if we want to become, we want to conform to the character and the nature of God, the character and nature of Jesus Christ, then we should strive to fulfill the moral law and even in our own lives. So we, we live to fulfill the moral law, not to be saved by the moral law, because we always fail. Even when we strive to fulfill the moral law, we're going to have our failings, we're going to have our downfalls, we're going we're to miss a step every now and again. 
So we're not looking to be saved by the moral law, but we are looking to live out the moral law in a way to honor God and glorify his name in this world of lostness. So the whole law is fulfilled then, he says, and it's all summed up. When you think about the moral law, the Ten Commandments, it's all summed up, Paul says, in this one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you're thinking, now what, what, what happened to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's there. It's there. You don't believe me? When we look throughout Scripture and we see how... How do we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? The way we demonstrate our love for God is loving others. That's what John says over in 1 John. He says, how can you say you love God whom you have never seen if you don't love your brother, your sister, and Christ who you do see? You see, throughout, throughout Scripture, a demonstration of our love for God is always a love for our neighbor. In fact, when you go to the Old Testament, especially Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah begins to, to give a prophecy from God to the people of, of Israel. And, and the Lord our God says to Israel, I'm tired of your endless sacrifices. I'm tired of your prayers. I'm tired of all the ceremonies. You honor me with your words, but your heart is far from me. You do all the things. You go through all the motions. You come to church. You sing praises. You raise your hands. You clap. You pray. You put on a big show. But then you go out and you oppress the poor. You oppress the, uh, the orphan. You, you you put down the widow. You don't keep justice. You see, our love for God is always demonstrated, not in these little outward uh, showings that we show here. These are important. Yes, we sing praises to God. We raise our hands. We clap. We shout. We, we praise Him with our mouths. But then if we go out the doors and we don't love people, what have we done? Nothing. We've loved God with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him. So, to love our neighbor as ourself is fulfilling the, the command to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we don't love our neighbor, we can't love God. We won't love God. We don't love God. And so, the, the command, uh, the, the law, the whole law is fulfilled in this one thing that we love our neighbor as ourselves we live and, and that word there is agape that love is an agape love it's not the phileo love the brotherly love that we, we often see in scripture it is the agape love it's a decision to love it's a decision to love it means that we don't just love those people who are easy to love I mean, if you love someone who loves you, if you love someone who honors you, if you love someone who, who makes a big deal out of you, what good have you done? But then, what about your enemy? Scripture says that not only do we love those who love us, but we love our enemy even as ourselves. That raises that question, right? Who, if... If we're to love our neighbor, if that is what it takes to fulfill the whole law is to love our neighbor, then... Number one, who is our neighbor? And how do we then fulfill the law? How do we show and demonstrate that love? Well, you remember Jesus was asked that same question then. Who is my neighbor? I mean, is that just the church folks? Is that just the people here in these pews, in, in this church family? Uh, who is it? 
The lawyer asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? I mean, uh, is it all these guys here or who is it? And Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember that parable? The Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now that's a, a contrast in terms for the Jewish people, the people whom Jesus was talking to, because they didn't believe there was a Good Samaritan. Uh, Samaritans for the Jews, they were outcasts. They were half-breeds. They were part Jew, part Gentile. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were hated by the Jews. In fact, if you were a Jew living up in Galatia, the northern part of Israel in Jesus' day, and you had to make a trip down to Judea, the southern part of Israel, well, you had Samaria there right between the two regions. If you were a Jew in Galatia and you needed to go to Judea, you didn't just take the direct route and go through Samaria. No, 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 because then you might have to come in contact with those nasty old Samaritans. You went all the way around Samaria and come in from the other side. That's how much the racial hate that so many of the Jews had for the Samaritans. Now Jesus, on the other hand, he just went straight through, right? We see several times in Scripture that he goes through Samaria. He's ministering to the Samaritans. So Jesus, he tells this story of the Good Samaritan. And as the story goes, there was a Jewish man who had come along some robbers. Some robbers had come along. They had beaten him. They had robbed him of everything that he owned. And they left him there in the street for dead. And along comes two, two men. A priest and a Levite. Now, a priest and a Levite were from the clan. A priest was a Levite, but he's making that distinction there. The priest and the Levite, you remember, they were, they were that part of, of, of the uh, Israel-like culture that was set aside, right? The Levites were set aside to be ministers for God between the people. They, they were kind of a mediator, before Christ came, they were mediators between God and man. They were to be ministers for the people on behalf of the people. And so here comes the, the, the priest and the Levite, and they come across this man laying there in the middle of the road. And what do they do? Let me get over here on the other side of the road because he, he might stain me. He might cause me to become unclean. I can't go to the temple if I'm unclean. And so they don't want to deal with that. And so they come to the other side of the road. But then along comes the Samaritan, this outcast, this reject, this nobody, this half-breed. And this Samaritan comes along and he sees the man beaten and left for dead. And he walks over to him. He picks him up. He puts him on his shoulder. He sets him on his donkey. He takes him out to the inn, to the nearest inn. He bandages all of his wounds. And then he goes to the innkeeper. He gives him all the money he has. He says, I want to I pay for his room. I want to pay for his board. I want you to take care of him. Uh, and, and I'm going to be back next week. And, and if it goes over, if you spend more on him than, than what I'm leaving you here, I'm, I'll be back through next week and I'll pay you the difference. And Jesus says, that, that's your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is whoever God has put in front of you who has a need. This Samaritan, he could have seen this Jewish man laying in the road, left for dead, and he could have said, that man hates me. That man despises me. I, I, I'm just going to go on the other side and I'm just going to go on home. But he looked at him, he had compassion on him, he had a need, and he served him in his need. 
Whomever God has put before you who has a need, that's your neighbor. That is your neighbor. And what must you do to serve him? Anything that God has given in, in your means to help that person, to get them out of that condition, that's what you're to use. Whatever resources you have been given, that's what you are to use to serve that individual. You're to give anything. And we are a blessed people. God has blessed us as Americans, as a nation, as a people. And how often do we walk around people because they're dirty? We don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't want to get involved. We won't, well, that's too much, there's too much time to be taken there. There's too much money to be spent there. How often do we walk around the other side because we don't want to get our hands dirty and we do not love our neighbor as ourselves. Dear Christian, we are called by Christ to exercise our freedom in Christ to love our neighbor as ourselves. To spend whatever we would spend upon ourselves to help that person, that person that God has put before us to get out of the bind that they are in to direct them to Jesus. We are called to serve others and to love others. So in Christ, we are free to love and free to serve others. Third, in Christ, we are free to serve and love others. Third, excuse me, third, the third boundary of Christian freedom. In Christ, we are free to live in unity with others. In Christ, we are free to live in unity with others. Notice that last verse there. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now Paul is, is using this little phrase here, he's using this language here to, to show us something. As he talks here about if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you do not consume one another. Uh, those are, are terms that you would typically use, not talking about human beings, would you? You would typically use those terms talking about animals. That's what animals do. Animals bite and devour one another. They consume one another. That's what they do. You, you get two dogs and they, they come at each other and they fight. They bite. They tear at one another. And they consume one another. Paul is directing us to our own base desires, right? The flesh. That's what the flesh is. It's those base desires that, that drive us. We're here for us. We're here for me. And if it's all about me, then it doesn't matter if I hurt you. It doesn't matter if you're offended. It doesn't matter if, if you are brought down by my actions as long as I'm all right. But you see, that's what our base desires lead to. If it's all about us, if it's all about me and my wants and my desires and, and my fulfillment in life and not about you, then I'm going to consume you with my own sinful desires. Isn't that what often happens? 
well, it doesn't matter if this hurts you or hurts that person if I get to tell the scoop to all my friends. It doesn't matter if, if the gossip hurts someone else. At least I get to feel good by being that braggart who, who, who gets to break the story. It doesn't matter if the world isn't reached for Christ because we're spending all of our resources on in-reach in the church. It doesn't matter if we're spending it all on us as long as we're getting ourselves fulfilled. Who cares if we reach the world for Christ? See, we can get so caught up and ourselves we can get so caught up in ourselves and, and we we just don't worry about other people we don't worry about if they get hurt if they get consumed by our actions our desires our preferences who cares as long as I'm getting fulfilled that's the world and that's a worldly attitude and that's not an attitude that it's to be in the church We're not to be controlled by base desire. We're not to be controlled by these fleshly desires that so often we just, let's be honest, we just let go and let drive us. But we're to live by the power of Jesus Christ, the power of His Spirit living in us. We're not to be like the world, biting, devouring, and consuming one another like the world does. But we're to live in peace and harmony and unity within the church. I know you've heard the expression, it's a dog-eat-dog world. I've had that experience in secular industry uh, when I sold ladies' shoes. Uh, you wouldn't think, about, think that, but uh, it was on commission, and it was a dog-eat-dog dog world. Man, I have had other salesmen come through, and here I am. I'm working with this person. I'm trying to sell this lady some shoes so that I can draw a paycheck and, and, and feed my family. I send seminary. That's all I had. And so I was working hard to try to feed my family the best I could. And, and then you have this other salesman sweep in and steal the sale. You see, that's the way of the world. The world bites and consumes one another. But that's not the way it is in church. We're not here to compete with one another to drive this program or that program because that's what serves me. We're here to live in unity. To live in the unity that Christ has won us when He died on the cross for us. We are freed from those sinful base desires. Oh, they're still, they're still hard sometimes to resist, but we have the power of Christ living in us to help us overcome those. Our goal is always to keep peace and unity within the church. To be that light of Christ to our world. To show the world there's something better than dog-eat-dog. There's faith in Jesus. Dear friend, we must resist the temptation towards legalism. We must resist the temptations towards license. And we must live in unity with one another as Christ has called us. 
The church is not to be like the world. We are free to live in unity with one another, not competing for the best resources. We are free to love one another. We are free to forgive one another. We're free to bear one another's burdens. Perhaps there's some here even today, you're holding a grudge against someone else in this church. They've done something to you. They've offended you. Maybe they said something out of place and and that hurt you and you've been holding a grudge. Today is the day of, of forgiveness. In Christ Jesus, you can forgive that person. Today, forgive them. And live in unity and peace in the family of God. Don't fall a victim to the pendulum effect. Govern your life by the the Christian liberty that we have. Govern your life by serving others, by sacrificially loving others, especially in the life of the church. I mean, we're to be the vision of of God's kingdom here on this earth. We're to show the world just a, a glimpse of God's kingdom here and now in the church. We do this all in an effort to to, to live and glorify Christ. Dear friend, if you're here today and and, and maybe you come to morning service and, and that's as far as you've gotten, get connected. Get connected. We're called to live together in freedom. And so I want to encourage you to get connected. Get connected with a life group so that that's where we begin to really love one another and bear one another's burdens, where we get to know one another. Get connected. Invest your time and resources in others. Help others as they grow in their relationship with Christ. Use your talents and gifts that God has given you to serve others set aside your own preferences and desires to see others brought into the kingdom so that they may know the joy of jesus christ always remembering that christian freedom is not a license to do whatever you want but liberty to love and serve others now for some of you you've never known christian freedom because you've never trusted in Jesus Christ you're still a slave to sin you're still a slave to to your own sinful desires but I want you to note that today can be the day of liberty if you just trust in Jesus he died serving you on the cross so that you might be free from sin free from the condemnation of the law free to truly live you'll only trust him and surrender your life to him today will you trust him today heavenly father we thank you for the freedom that we have in jesus lord let us not give in to the temptation to to swing out of out of legalism right on into license just live however we want to live but lord govern our lives by the power of your holy spirit to live to love and serve others and and to live in that bond of unity lord i do pray Surely there are those today who do not know you, 
They do not know the freedom that is in Jesus Christ. Lord, free them today. Release them from their chains and their bonds. Give them life in Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.